Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all the truths about you that we sang this morning. Lord, in a, a room this size with so many people, there are so many cares and concerns that weigh on our minds and hearts. And Lord, would you minister and care for every single one of them this morning like only you can do. Ask for your help, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been coming to the church for a while, you know that I have a tendency to use a lot of illustrations that are sports-related. Um, I'm not going to do that today. So raise your hand if you are familiar with the Renaissance painter Raphael. Keep your hand high so I can see you. Okay, we've got some art majors. We've got an art professor. Now, here's the thing. A lot more of you are familiar with him. Raise your hand if you know the mutant ninja turtle Raphael. <laughs> he was named after the Renaissance painter Raphael. Actually, all the, the mutant ninja turtles were. So on my Google search, I'm reading about the painter, and I'm reading about the mutant ninja turtles. Um, all has a point. Raphael, his final painting, see if, I won't ask you, but some of you might know it on this side. Uh, his final painting was uh, entitled The Transfiguration. He actually, it was his last commissioned painting that he was in the middle of painting. He actually died before it was completed. His assistant had to complete it. And um, we're going to look at the painting for a moment because the painting actually captures the passage that Jason preached on last week and part of the passage that I am preaching on this week. So if we get that image up. So on the top is, with all the bright colors is the transfiguration. You can see Peter, James, and John are on the ground. Um, Moses um, and Elijah are, are to the sides. Down below, though, is the scene of a, a demon-possessed boy and his father and, and the, the disciples trying to help him. So you have this beautiful scene above and chaos below. And, and the reason I, I, that image is so powerful is because often that's, that's kind of like where we live. Um, Jesus is fully God, fully man, and now he's ascended in heaven. And yet in our world, in our day and age, in our lives, there can be chaos. You can take the image down. Um, and we're going to see the tension in the passage we're going to look at today. We're going to see that Jesus truly is the same God who revealed himself at the transfiguration. All the while, he's going to walk into a very chaotic situation. Um, look at Matthew 17, verses 14 through 16. So the transfiguration has just happened where Jason taught us last week. It wasn't that Jesus was changed. It was just that he, he pulled the curtain back a bit. He revealed himself as, as fully God to Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah. Meanwhile, down below, below the mountain, this, this was happening. And when the, the, they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him. So Jesus now has come down. Lord, have mercy on my son. For he has seizures, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, 
and they could not heal him. So what we have here is a very, very desperate father, most likely uh, not a Jewish man, so not, not someone who would have been familiar with the Old Testament law, um, but he's, he's someone who, who heard about Jesus, and he has a desperate, desperate need, which is his son is, is deeply afflicted, we find out, by demons, and they're, they're, they're causing seizures, and they're dragging him into fires, and they're dragging him into water, and so it's threatening his very life. And if we could see it on a video, most likely this, this boy would have been scarred from the fire. So it would have been hard to maybe even look at. And we're going to see in a moment that the disciples just weren't able to help him. And now he's coming to Jesus. And so we're going to see three scenes today. One is this scene. Then we're going to see another scene where Jesus is going to talk about what's to come in his life. Then we're going to see a third scene where Jesus is going to... Um, help us understand that not only can he help us with these catastrophic things in our lives, but he can help us with the mundane, everyday pressures of life as well. And the big idea here in all three scenes is that we must look to Jesus for help in every trouble that we face. We must look to Jesus for help in every trouble. Big troubles, small troubles, things in between. We look to Jesus for help. First point is this, we must trust Jesus to rescue us from every spiritual threat and affliction. The first scene is this scene of of a a young boy who is possessed with demons. He is afflicted. Let's, Let's read it again, verses 14 through 16. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him. He said, Lord, have mercy Oh, my son, imagine, some of you don't have to imagine. You know what it's like to have children that are very sick and, and afflicted. There's, there's this parental push that, that you, don't, you don't, no one has to tell you what to do. Just help me. All I want you to do is help me. I need help for my son. Would you help me? You're not worried about what you look like in that moment. You're not worried about... If you're interrupting people, you're not worried about much other than my child needs help. Will you help him? Help him. And then the the dad tells the condition. He has seizures. He suffers terribly. For often he falls into fire and often into water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Now, the, the, the father has love and compassion for the child. And we don't know how old the child is, maybe, maybe a teenager. But the, the rest of the people in the community, they, they, they may have long lost compassion and, and saw this individual as more of a problem and a nuisance. Like, just get, take care of him. Get him out of here. But not with the dad. Would you help him? He goes right to Jesus. Now, this father wasn't at, on the mountain when Jesus transfigured. He just had heard enough about Jesus that he had faith that Jesus could help him. But look, look at verse 16. He said, I brought him to your disciples, minus Peter, James, and John, because they were with Jesus when this was happening, and, and they couldn't heal him. They, they couldn't help him. They, they were unable to help him. Now, I think 
maybe you can relate to this. So oftentimes people get confused about Jesus because of his followers. Well, I came to Jesus, your followers, for help, and they couldn't help me. And this, this dad made the, the beeline to Jesus himself. That's always a good way to go. As Christians, we're like the disciples. We, we're trying. We, we're do, making our best effort. But what you need, what I need more than anything, is Jesus himself. Now look at verse 17. This is going to sound harsh, but, but Jesus can do this. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. O faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So Jesus is getting a bit exasperated because he, he, Jesus fully knows who he is. He's fully God. He's fully man. He's been doing all these miracles, doing all these incredible things, and yet the people are still not believing that he is who he says he is. But this non-Jewish father is believing. And I, I love this sentence at the end of verse 17. Bring him here to me. This is like um, if your child is trying to help you with something. So maybe it's laundry, or maybe it's mowing the lawn, or maybe it's building something, and you're trying to be patient at first, but they're just not quite figuring it out, and then you eventually, in exasperation, just let me do it. Just let me do it. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. That's basically what Jesus is saying. I, I got this. These guys are knuckleheads. Um, now look at what happens in verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. This was of no challenge to Jesus. He heals the boy instantly. He delivers him from his affliction instantly. Jesus is so superior to demons and to Satan himself. We learn in the Bible that Satan and demons are creations and Jesus is uncreated. They are subjects and he is the king. They are fallen and rebels and he is the conquering king who one day will return. So there, there is no match. This is not a match of equals in any way. This is a superior to an inferior. We learn in the book of Job that, that even for Satan to move, to act, to afflict, he has to ask permission from the Lord himself. See, though Jesus is no longer being transfigured before their eyes, he is showing his authority. He's showing that he is God and King. And if you know him, he is your king. He is the one who can rescue you. Now the disciples, probably genuinely happy for the, the young boy who was freed. But they're confused a bit like, hey, we, we gave it a shot. What happened? And Jesus tells them what happened. Look at verse 19 and following. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here 
and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So he's, he's training them. He's correcting them. But let's not be too hard on them. So I want you to, we're going to go back to the scene again. I want you to imagine you're them, and Jesus isn't with you. So you see this chaotic situation, this young boy who's throwing himself into fire, into water, total chaos. Your, your teacher is up on a mountain somewhere with Peter, James, and John, like the, the kind of three all-stars, and you're, you're in chaos here. you got a really passionate dad. you got a chaotic situation. you got a crowd that's probably riled up because of it, and they're just getting spun around. And most likely, they're not thinking about Jesus in that moment. They're thinking about, oh, we're not ready yet. We're not prepared. This is crazy. And they're fixated on the problem, not on Jesus who can solve the problem. We're no different. Different circumstance, but when you or I get pressed, how often do we fix our eyes on the the greatness of the problem rather than on Jesus? And the more you stare at the problem, the bigger and crazier it gets. And then our imagination goes to the worst case scenarios. It's kind of like we're wearing glasses that all we can see is the problem. And the glasses are not allowing us to see it through the faith of Jesus, King and Captain and God himself. See, in those times when we're faced with whatever problems it might be, we need to look through the lens of faith. Listen to what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What I love about verses like this, it it doesn't qualify. It could be anything. What trouble are you facing right now? What is that thing that's pressing against you, that's tempting you to fear, to worry? The psalmist encourages us. God is our refuge. We can go to him for shelter. He's our strength. He's our very present help. He's near. He's with us. And then the psalmist says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. The the troubles, the problem shows its fangs, its teeth. We're not going to be shaken. We're not going to fear, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Why? Because God, is our refuge, our strength, our very present help. And that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples. You can trust me. You can trust me in any and every circumstance that you face. You can trust me. And even if your faith is just the size of a mustard seed, a small little degree of faith, Jesus will respond. Look at verses uh, twenty. And 21 again, or 20. He said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, it's a really small seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, Jesus is not thinking about 
literal physical mountains. He's not saying if you, if you go to Mount Everest, tell it to move. If you go to the Andes, tell them to move. If you go to the Himalayas, you can tell them to move. Now, Christians probably try that because we, we do weird things at times, especially when we first meet Jesus. Um, I did a lot of weird things as a college student who just met Jesus. Um, but he's not talking about that. He's just saying if something as big as this father's dilemma with his son is, is upon you, if you have faith in me, I will, I will see it through. I will show my power. I will show my compassion. I will show my strength and my love. And so the call is a call to faith. A mustard seed, this little seed that, that turns into this, this basically tree that brings shelter for birds. And it, it starts at such a tiny little thing and then it grows. Some of you are praying and praying and praying. And you have faith, but then sometimes you, you have doubt. And then you have faith and you have doubt. You have faith, you have doubt. Welcome to the club. Keep wrestling. Keep praying. Keep petitioning the Lord day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. Trusting that the Lord himself hears your prayers. Listen to this psalm. Psalm 126 says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Some of you are praying and burdened and praying. Because you love those you're praying for. Keep praying. Keep seeking. You sow in tears. And one day, there will be a reaping of joy. A reaping of salvations. A reaping of Jesus' power at work. We can trust Him for every spiritual affliction. And one of the reasons we know that is because He has taken care of our greatest affliction. Our greatest dilemma, our greatest human problem, which is how can a man or woman who is born with a sinful nature, who rebels against the holy God, be made right with the holy God? And that brings us to the second thing we're going to see today, which is this, point two. We must trust Jesus for our eternal rescue. As Jesus is getting closer to his death, He's beginning to talk to his disciples about it more and more, which is what happens in verse 22 and 23. He's preparing them, and he keeps preparing them. And they're they're having trouble comprehending why he keeps saying this and why it's actually a really good thing. Look at verse 22. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, that's the title that you get from The prophecy in Daniel, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, the promised one in the book of Daniel. And he's saying, I'm going to die. And they're going to kill me. But I'm going to raise from the dead. And I love Matthew's comments. And they were greatly distressed. This was not good news 
if you were one of the 12. They didn't understand why this had to happen and why their teacher keeps repeating himself that I'm going to have to die. Now the irony of this, with everyone with the exception of Judas who betrays Jesus, this very message is what they have will give their lives to preaching and proclaiming that the Messiah dies and rises from the grave and one day will return. So they, after Jesus' death and resurrection, they understood it. But at this point in time, they, they don't get it. And with the exception of the 11, probably no one understood the importance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection more than the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, Paul was a very intelligent man. He was very well educated. So he could have used words that no one would understand. But that's not what he did. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and Him crucified. See, one of the reasons Jesus was so committed to preparing the disciples that they got to understand He's going to die and He's going to raise from the dead is because that is the way that the human dilemma is solved. That there had to be someone who was fully God and fully man who could die on the cross as a substitute for sinners, paying for the full price of my sins and your sins, the sins of the whole world. That means if you trust in Jesus, if you believe that he died for you, no matter what you have done, no matter how bad and dark and twisted it has become, if you turn from your sins and you receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, you're washed, you're cleansed, you're made new. God's Spirit comes inside of you and you become an entirely new creation. That is only possible by the message of the cross, by Jesus coming to die in our place. No other religion or philosophy can solve the human dilemma. Only one who is fully God and fully man, perfect, sinless, and willing to die in our place. But not only that, what he says in verse 23 is so important. They will kill him, but he will be raised the third day. Our king, who is a king like no other, is a risen king. He conquered sin. He conquered death. The resurrection is proof that we can be forgiven. We can be set free. That the power of sin and the power of death have been defeated and conquered. The resurrection is a really, really important truth in the Bible. It's not only an important truth for eternity, which it is, but because of the resurrection, you and I can change. We can experience new life. We can be made different. We can be changed from the inside out. The, the things that hound you and tangle you up, the internal struggles that we have, because of the resurrection, we can be made free. That's really, really good news. 
The Apostle Paul wrote a lot about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a little dense, so if you have coffee, take a swig, and, and here we go. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, that not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. We're in the dense part. Hang in there. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if the resurrection is not true, we're still in our sins. We're still a slave to our sins. We're still under the penalty of our sins. If Christ, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, talking about Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. All who are in Christ shall be made alive. The resurrection is so important for our present experience as Christians and our eternal um, life where we'll be with God forever. We follow not just a great teacher, we follow God himself died and risen from the grave. So we can trust him. Your sins do not disqualify you from salvation if you turn from them and trust in Jesus. It is so hard for people to believe that. Those of us who, who talk to lots of people, especially non-Christians about Jesus, but even Christians at times, we all have a tendency to want to go back to our human effort, to our human works. Well, maybe that's true, but you don't really know what I did. You don't really know what I'm thinking. You don't really know what happened decades ago. That's true. I don't know, and many of the people here don't know. The Lord knows, and you know the Lord knows, but here's where you get tripped up. You don't understand that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he took the punishment for that very secret sin that you keep trapped between your ears, that you tell no one about. He wants to take that from you. He wants to free you from that. The guilt of that, the shame of that, the power of that. Jesus died and rose from the grave for that very specific thing that is lodged in your brain. Give that to Jesus. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. You can trust him for salvation. You can trust him for the assurance of his love. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, I, I've been a Christian for about uh, 27 years. So I think about 27 years. So I met Jesus as a 19-year-old IEP student, and I've been following him ever since. And obviously there's been ups and downs. 
But generally speaking, in my Christian life, I don't often struggle with faith in very big things. So if something big is happening in my life, by the grace of God, I often make a beeline to the Lord. Where I can struggle is all these low-grade pressures and things that, that flip you around um, that can make me anxious, that can make me worried, can, can tempt me to fear. So a worldwide pandemic, I'm doing great. Um, a flat tire, oh man, I got to deal with flat tire. The other day I hit a deer in the highway, oh, that's, a, that's a problem. Um, I became the victim of fraud uh, about a month ago on, online. Um, those things can just like, oh, I just don't really want to deal with them. Big things, Lord, I trust you, you're king. Littler things, ah, I'm just going to try to figure it out on my own rather than trust you. What I love about this last scene is Jesus is going to show us that it's not just these big things that he is Lord and king over, but our daily, everyday troubles, we can trust him too, which is the third and final point. We must trust Jesus when troubled with earthly cares, with just the, the, the cares of life. Look at verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, the, the collectors, the tax collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him and said, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So let me tell you what's happening here. Now remember, Matthew who wrote the book of Matthew is a saved tax collector. So he was a tax collector, and Jesus saved him. And so tax collecting is kind of a big deal in Matthew's mind. So he has this very, under the inspiration of the Spirit, a very detailed um, example of Jesus obeying practical laws and also showing that he is God through those practical laws. So the question is, does your teacher pay taxes? So Jesus um, was basically an uncredentialed, unsanctioned teacher. So he didn't have the, the degree. Um, so the, the ones with the degree, the Jewish teachers, they didn't have to pay taxes because the taxes was for the temple. And, but he's an unsanctioned one. So they, they know uh, he should be paying taxes because he's, he's unsanctioned. Um, and, and Peter's replies in verse 25, yes, oh, certainly he, he'll pay the taxes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him saying, what do you think, Simon? That's another name for Peter. From whom do the kings of the earth take toll tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Spin you around, it's confusing. Basically, what he's saying is this, that a son doesn't have to pay taxes if his dad's a king. He's, he's good. He's good to go. Jesus is saying, I'm the son of the true king, of the God of the universe. Technically, I don't have to pay taxes either. And the temple taxes is actually going to go to fund the very people that are going to crucify Jesus um, in a short amount of time in the future. But he's, he's obeying, he's going by the earthly laws. So 
here's the crazy thing. Look at verse 27. We can just read this and, and forget what happened there. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. So the, the, the temple tax, basically the tax that they were collecting, was about two days' wage. So if you're um, a college student um, doing a, a work-study job, you maybe get eight bucks an hour. If you got a better job, um, hopefully you get a lot more than eight bucks an hour. Um, so you do that eight hours times two, that's kind of what was due. And, and Jesus says, okay, we'll, we'll go by the rules, but I'm going to also show that I'm God. So cast your line into the water. And if you're a fisherman, you might have noticed something. Throw your hook into the water. Um, looks like there's no bait on this hook. So just cast it in. And the first fish that comes up, when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. That shekel will more than cover the debt for both Peter and for Jesus that they owed for their taxes. It's a supernatural thing. Only God can arrange for a fish, the very first fish that was caught, to have a coin in its mouth that will pay and cover everything. One of the reasons I love that this is in the Bible is because we think of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, which He is. He pays our debt. He secures salvation. He intervenes in these catastrophic situations with the dad and the son. But he also provides for us so we can pay our taxes. He also cares for the things that, that weigh us down, that, that, that produce a, a low-grade worry and anxiousness of your heart and your mind. You can trust Jesus for everything. For everything. You and I could never have orchestrated how Jesus paid his taxes that day. And nor do you want to bank on it. So it's not like, okay, well maybe there'll be a frog with a, with a dollar bill in his mouth. Um, Jesus can do that. We can't. Our call is to trust him. To trust him with the big things in our lives, the medium things in our lives, and the very small things. You can go to Jesus for everything. Everything the life-altering things that just knock us upside down, and the very things you woke up thinking about this morning. Go to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Call out to Jesus. If you look in the, the Bible I have at home that I write prayers in that I read every morning, um, I have all kinds of things. I have worldwide prayer requests. I have, oh, I had a dear, Lord, I need a new car. <laughs> um, and everywhere in between, I have parental prayers. I have church prayers. I have community prayers. Um, that's how the Lord wants us to be. Bring it all to Him. Don't carry it. You weren't intended to carry it. He's calling you to give it to Him. Over and over and over again. But we like to kind of keep a little bit back at times. Don't do that. Give it all to Jesus. See, we have to look to Jesus to rescue from every spiritual threat and affliction, for our eternal rescue, and 
when we're troubled with earthly cares. So what, what's on your heart and mind today? Maybe you just don't understand salvation. Go to Jesus. Maybe you're a college student and you just found out, uh-oh, I don't have any money. I don't have enough money to actually come back next semester. Maybe you just got word that your, your mom and dad are getting a divorce. Maybe you got word that there's a, a serious diagnosis, health diagnosis with you or in your family. Whatever it is, you're meant to go to Jesus with it. He will help you. Maybe it's a besetting sin. You just can't get free. Maybe you just got in trouble. You got busted. Praise the Lord, you got caught. May that be a pathway to a whole life that Jesus has purchased for you. The point is, you can go to Jesus for any and all troubles. Let's pray. If you wouldn't mind standing, the band can come up. Jesus, thank you that you are a good shepherd, a faithful shepherd, a mindful shepherd, one who knows all and sees all and tenderly works and acts, changes and frees, provides, cares. Lord, as we sing this, this last song, would you give us faith to really believe and trust in you? And as we sing, may we cast our cares upon you, whatever that thing is, or items that are burdening us right now. May we give those to you. May we watch you work. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.